Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. Greenville Oaks, and it is uh, good to be together, as I said earlier. If you're new to us, or maybe last week was your first week on Easter Sunday, we're, we're glad you're back. And uh, if maybe this is your first Sunday in a while, uh, we are so glad that you're here as well. For the past six months, we've been journeying through the Bible using a chronologically abridged version of the Bible called the story. 31 weeks through the story of Scripture together. And last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And today is the first of four sermons that will close out the letters all the way through uh, Revelation as we close this story uh, as it concludes in Scripture. The question at hand is, what, what happened after the resurrection? What did, how did the early church get its start? And so we're in chapter 28 of the story. If you have your Bibles uh, available to you this morning on your phone or, or with you uh, a copy, then open that, if you would, to the book of Acts. And I'll read from chapter 1 here in just a moment. But let us pray as we open uh, God's Word together. Father, I thank you this morning for your Word. I thank you that the story did not end on the cross or in a tomb. But Jesus was resurrected from the dead And even that's not the end of the story because the same Holy Spirit that revived and put life into Jesus' body, that walked with Jesus in power every step on his way is available to us as well as your church. I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts so that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit that first ascended at Pentecost. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I want to read from Acts 1, verse 1 and 2 as we begin this morning. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. The author of this book, the book of Acts, is a guy named Luke. And this is not the first book that you've read, if you've read through the Gospels, that Luke wrote. Luke wrote the Gospel that has his name attached to it, the Gospel of Luke, that tells the story of Jesus. Luke, uh, it's believed, was a companion of Paul on his missionary journeys. He is referred to by Paul as a physician, and so we think that that, that Luke was not just an author, but also a doctor. And he's this author who's interested in making sure what's recorded is, yes, the story of Jesus and all the events that occur 
in his life on earth, but also the story of the early church as it gets its start following Jesus' ascension to heaven. So Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke in order to tell the story of Jesus, and then he sets out to write the book of Acts as a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And in verse 1, he's already reminding his readers that he's already written a book. In other words, pick up the first book if you haven't already read it. About all that Jesus began to do and teach. And Acts is the rest of the story. Let's continue reading in verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates. The father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Anyone who loved Luke's gospel is already gripped by this opening in the first chapter of Acts. Luke is a brilliant author. The hero of the first book, Jesus, starts out in the story and then whoosh, he's gone. And left behind are these disciples that have been walking with Jesus, failing him, it seems like, all along the way. So immediately, Luke grabs the reader's attention with some conflict, with some tension. What happens after Jesus is gone? If the Messiah is what we've been waiting for, what do we do now that the Messiah is up in heaven with the Father? Well, we have a hint about what they are called to in verse 8. Let me read that again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All the way back in John's gospel at the table, Jesus was trying to comfort his disciples, and he tells them, I'm going to send an advocate, a helper, one who walks alongside you and encourages you, that will remind you of everything that Jesus said, that I, that I said, that Jesus is quoting this in John 16. And, and so that promised Holy Spirit all of a sudden is promised again by Jesus. This Holy Spirit is going to come on you. He's going to, you're going to receive power. This is that fulfillment of the promise that had been given before Jesus' death. But Jesus also gives them a calling in the scene. Once they are, receive power, they are to be witnesses. Now we think about witnesses in the context of a courtroom. A witness is someone who observed an event and is willing to testify to what they saw. And this will be the job of these apostles. They are simply called to testify to the amazing things they saw as they walked with Jesus over the past three years. And as witnesses, they're called to start that work in Jerusalem. But Jesus also says their message is going to grow and expand. They'll continue the work of in Judea and Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. Now, these are people that didn't travel like we, many of us have traveled. People didn't get a geography class with the same map that we have drawn for us. They've lived most of their lives in this small place, Palestine, about the size of New Jersey. And yet this vision, this promise of Jesus is this won't stay here. It's going to go all over the earth, this message. 
But it's important for us to hear, as we think about our own callings and, and missions in life, it's important for us to hear, I think again, verse 4 and 5, because there's a detail here that's important if right now you're wondering or struggling through what God might be calling you to. Acts 1, the second half of verse 4, starting with the red letters. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus is saying a lot in these verses before he ascends to heaven. But there's a really important command that most of us uh, struggle to follow when we feel a firm calling from God. And that is before you get to action, before you start moving out to do the thing that God has called you to do, the command of Jesus first is, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. That's odd, right? I mean, this message has got to get out. There's, there's people that need to be saved. There are people that need to know this is the Messiah, that need to believe in him. And yet Jesus' first command is, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Because you can't do this on their own. And Jesus knows that well. <laughs> He's seen them fail time and time again. St. Peter is going to get up just next chapter and preach this amazing sermon. It was the same Peter who denied Jesus three times. I mean, failure after failure after failure. And most of us know what it's like to receive a calling and get, want to get after it. Why wait? Get started. But Jesus, like I said, has spent enough time with these disciples to know it's going to take another kind of power to help them do what's needed. And this is really important for us to understand because when you read Acts 1, you see that Jesus had just finished teaching them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. They had 40 days with the greatest teacher of all time about the most important topic of all time. But even though Jesus had taught them for 40 days about the kingdom of God, they still weren't ready to be his witnesses until the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. This is a really important principle for all of us to understand this morning. There's a difference between being informed and being empowered. You hear me, church? There is a difference between being informed and being empowered. These disciples had been informed about the kingdom of God. 40 days with Jesus, three years before that. But what they have to wait on at Jesus' command is, I want you to wait because you can't do this without a power of the Holy Spirit to walk beside you through the days ahead. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. It was the same for Jesus in his ministry. Everything Jesus did while he was on the earth, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're reminded of this again and again. For example, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit inside of Mary, according to Luke 1, verse 35. Jesus preached through the power of the Spirit, according to the prophecy about him in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Jesus performed miracles and cast out demons through the power of the Spirit, according to Acts 10 and verse 38. He lived a sinless life and went to the cross through the power of the Spirit, according to Hebrews 9, verse 14. And he was raised from the dead through the power of the Spirit, according to Romans 8, verse 12. And then before he ascends to heaven, he gave instructions to these followers through the power of the Spirit, the text says, in Acts 1, verses 1 and 2. When you think about this now, the meaning of Christ is not, this isn't Jesus' last name. <laughs> Christ means anointed one. 
And, and that's what's happening here is a reminder throughout the gospels that, that Jesus was able to do the things he did because he was empowered. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. And this is what it means when we call ourselves Christians, right? Christians, anointed ones. We are anointed ones following the anointed one. And Jesus wanted to share the gift that he had. If Jesus, if even Jesus would do nothing apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, then how could we as his followers think that we could achieve the mission that God has given us without that same empowering of the Holy Spirit? And so Jesus tells them, I want you to wait. Not rush out to do this work. I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit who will descend so that you will be not just informed, but empowered to be about the work of God. But this empowerment wasn't just a one-time occurrence. The Spirit also filled them on other occasions, not just Acts 2 in the big moment at Pentecost. In fact, the rest of the book of Acts is a record of what it looks like when followers of Jesus live under the filling, under the gifting, and the influence of the Holy Spirit. Being empowered to the glory of Jesus and for the extraordinary acts of proclamation, sacrifice, love, generosity, miracles, and faithfulness in the midst of persecution and suffering. And this is so important for us to remember because sometimes we read things in the Bible and we think, there's no way I could do what those disciples do. And you'd be right. (laughs) There is no way you can do any of that stuff. There's no way I can do anything of that stuff without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says, if you have the Holy Spirit, you'll do even greater things than these. I don't know what that means. Greater things than Jesus did while he was on the earth. But that's somehow the power that's given through this Holy Spirit. And it's not here as a history lesson to tell us how powerful the Spirit worked just in that few years <laughs> that the apostles walked on the earth. It's an ongoing story. One of the things I love about the book of Acts is it tells the story of the church, warts and all. As I've said in the past, one of the things I love about the Bible is it refuses to be propaganda. It's not a highlight reel. It's not a history book written from the perspective of winners who only tell the good stories and leave out the the problems. We saw this all throughout the Old Testament. We'll see it in the next few weeks. The book of Acts is filled with just disaster after disaster for this early church who just can't seem to get it right, even though the Spirit's been poured out. And in Acts chapter 5, we read about these two Leaders of some kind, Ananias and Sapphira, who lie about the gifts they're going to bring, the generosity they're going to offer to this church. In Acts 6, the church has its first conflict because of racial prejudice. The Hebrew widows are getting, are not, are getting enough food, but the Hellenistic widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. In Acts chapter 7, the most prolific author in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, is standing holding coats approving of the murder of the first Christian martyr. Not exactly a glowing resume for this Paul who will write half the New Testament. And Acts chapter 15 records the ugly conflict behind the decision to include the Gentiles in the church. Not everyone is on the same page. And the book of Acts airs all that dirty laundry. Luke is not setting out to write a myth about a perfect group of people who happen to be the ones God calls to do something the rest of us can't do. Luke is trying to tell the true story of a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of murderers, and people who struggle with racism, being transformed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do more than they could ever do on their own. And chief among them is Peter. (laughs) 
The Gospel of Luke, the other Gospels didn't hide his mistakes. He's the one that had fallen into the waters. He's the one who'd said, you're the Messiah. But then just later he said, you're not going to die. That's not what this is about. This is the same Peter who denied him three times. But Peter gets up at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit descends, the power comes. And the Spirit of God does a miracle in Peter on Pentecost. And his message was simple, not one that any preacher would really want to bring to a crowd. God sent Jesus. And what did we do to him? What did you do do to him? You had him killed. You put him on a cross. But God raised him up on the third day. And rest assured, God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. And the people were cut to the heart. They were convicted. So they asked Peter and the other disciples, what should we do since we are guilty of these things? And this is what we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And that day, just imagine the scene. Just imagine the sound. 3,000 people were baptized into Jesus on that day. It was a good day. But it wasn't all sunshine and roses after Acts chapter 2. Remember, this message was to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But the early church doesn't fulfill that great commission immediately. The truth is, the church didn't make its way into Samaria until it was driven out by persecution. Adversity was the fuel that spread the fire of the gospel beyond Jerusalem. Let me say that again after the year we've been through. Adversity was the fuel that spread the fire of the gospel beyond Jerusalem. It wasn't just the initiative of these Christ followers. They were fearful. But something about adversity was the thing that made it happen. And as the Acts unfolds, the church's witness to Christ and the gospel grows and expands the quickest on the heels of adversity and persecution. Adversity and persecution proved to be like throwing water on a grease fire. It only spread, it only made it hotter. Church, I hope you heard what I just said. Adversity didn't crush or hurt the church. Adversity created the conditions for the church to grow in ways it couldn't before. And sometimes God has to force us through outside adversity to grow in ways we would never choose to grow on our own. And I believe in this season where we need to invite the Holy Spirit to empower us to take the gospel to more places than we ever have before. There are plenty of challenges to being a church in 2021, but there is more opportunity in this season than ever before, I believe. The harvest is still plentiful and the workers are few. But the Lord of the harvest is calling us to take the gospel across the street and around the world. Let's pray as we close our time in the word this morning. Father, I thank you for this story, this occurrence, this history. I thank you for Pentecost and what it reminds us of, of what you're capable of doing. And I thank you even for the adversity the early church faced because it wasn't without the destruction of Jerusalem. 
so many challenges that things went forward in a whole new way. So God, I pray in the midst of whatever adversity we are facing right now, individually, corporately, as a world, as a nation, that you would allow uh, the gospel to spread like wildfire in these days ahead. We thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. It's without the Holy Spirit that we would have no hope and because of the Holy Spirit that we have all hope. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Twitter. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.